If you've been with us recently, uh, or even if you haven't, um, we have crossed the median. We are over the hump in our current series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is week eight today, and so we're more than halfway through. And we are covering the Sermon on the Mount. And if you guys don't know what that is, it is a section of Scripture out of the book of Matthew, so Matthew 5, 6, and 7 chapters. And this is really um, Jesus' first big moment in his ministry. It's a sermon that he gives to not only his disciples and followers, but to a big group of people who are checking him out. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, has really garnered a little bit of a reputation. And the people in Israel, around Jerusalem, Galilee, they've heard about this guy, this teacher, and they want to know what he's all about. And so this is Jesus' first moment to really kind of tell people who he is and what he's here to do. Uh, the context of the time was that all the people that were listening to Jesus in this moment, these were Jews, cultural Jews, religious Jews, and they had a pretty set way of living through not only uh, the Torah, but also Jewish law and traditions. And so what Jesus was doing here was he was telling them about a new way of doing things, a new relationship in covenant with God. He embodied that covenant. And what he's doing here is he's clarifying our need for salvation and he's offering a clear path to that salvation through himself. Uh, we talked last week on Easter. Uh, we w- kind of skipped ahead a little bit to chapter 7. We talked about the ask, seek, knock passage. And the realization that we came to uh, was that it really nails down this idea for us that God loves us so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to get us back into right relationship with him. And then we also looked at Matthew 7, 13, and 14, talking about the narrow and the wide gates. And we know now that following Jesus is not easy. I mean, I think we've probably always known that. But we know that Jesus is offering us a personal invite into that relationship with him. And he's just asking us to follow him uh, down that path that is less traveled. So like I said, we skipped ahead last week. This week we're going to back up. Uh, and go in reverse, back to chapter 6, and pick up where we were at a couple weeks ago. So, I think the, the passage that we're talking about this morning, if it's not the most important part of the Sermon on the Mount, I think it is, it's in like the top three. It is a massively important piece of Scripture that has really important meaning and connection to all of us. No matter who you are, old or young, rich or poor, This is a warning that Jesus is giving us, and I think it has a lot of meaning and implications for us today. So let's go ahead and dive into our scripture for this morning. We're in Matthew uh, chapter 7, 7 through 14. I think that was last week's (laughs) scripture, so forget that. We're in Matthew 6. Just read on the screens, guys. All right, here we go. Starting in verse 19, talking about treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is it not life? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, th- and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus has been laying this foundation for a while now, and we've been covering this up until this point in chapter 6. And right here, Jesus is teaching his audience about two very real temptations. He's giving them a warning. And these are not only warnings about temptations, but these were real things that everyone that was listening to Jesus would have known or experienced. These were big, real-life issues. I also think that these are two very real temptations and uh, warnings that we all deal with as well. So in that way, Jesus' words here are as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago when he gave them. These temptations threaten to steal our, tempt- our attention, and they threaten to pull away our focus away from Jesus and the work of the kingdom. And those two temptations are wealth and worry. This is that moment where you realize, I am speaking directly to you. Anyone who has or needs or manages money, whether you have it, you want it, maybe you've lost it, or you need it, And anyone who's experienced worry or stress or anxiety, this is a message that is specifically for you because Jesus knows how important it is. Growing up, I dreamed about owning a house one day. And Jessica and I have been married now, this September will be 17 years, and we've owned two houses so far in our marriage. And I not only dreamt about owning a house as a young boy, but about fixing up an old house. And so uh, five and a half years ago, I got that wish. We bought an old farmhouse. Uh, If you're listening to me um, and you're younger and you don't yet own a house, I can't even begin to explain how expensive owning a house is, (laughs) let alone a farmhouse that was built in 1900. I mean, literally built in 1900 at the turn of the century. I love our house. We enjoy it. It has been such a blessing for us and our kids, our family. But it is one of the biggest sources of worry in my life and drains of money, and it's crazy. I mean, any of you who own a house, have owned property of any kind, you know. It is insurance. It is upkeep. It is utilities. It is taxes. It's all those things. It's remodeling costs. It's replacing a broken furnace. It's all those things. But then take into account a 1900 farmhouse with ice dams and original windows 
and a rubblestone foundation that is leaking and wet. And it's not only a source of stress for me as far as money, but it keeps me up at night sometimes. There are just so many things that Chip and Joanna Gaines just did not tell us about on their show. It's amazing. I think in our day and age, finances and mental health are aspects of life that we just can't escape. It's a part of life. It's a part of our reality. And so these verses that Jesus is giving us, these are things that are not only real and important for us to hear, but it's also like, there's a little tension there because it's like, I, I have to have money. I can't live life without money, right? I can't like escape from anxiety or worry. Sometimes that, those are healthy things, right? Some of you, I can relate to what I'm saying here. I mean, every time Jess and I do our taxes, we pay a medical expense, we get depressed, or we worry about, is there going to be enough money in the bank account? You know, if you have to buy a new set of tires, <laughs> or you have to replace the refrigerator, like, these are all things that are like money and worry, money and worry. It's just a part of life. So what I don't want to do is I don't want to read this and be like, okay, God doesn't like me because I worry and because I have to have money. Like, that's not what Jesus is saying, is saying here. The temptation for me is also to like dream of just cutting those things out of my life. Like, maybe we should just buy some land in Idaho, and like build a cabin, have some solar panels, just live off the grid. Like, we wouldn't have to worry about any of those things. I don't think that's the answer either because I don't think Jesus is telling us to like amputate the issues. If anything, he's encouraging us to lean into them that much more. Jesus says we can deal with all of these things in a different way, a better way. We don't need to amputate. We need to heal our perspective and our motives. So this morning, I want us to calm our hearts and our minds and lean into what Jesus is telling us all to do. So let's talk about wealth. Let's talk about money. I think the best place to start is by saying that Jesus, he's just not anti-money or anti-saving. That's not what he's talking about. He's not anti-wealth. These are not bad things. So if you are wealthy, please don't feel bad. That's not the point here. I think if Jesus was saying that, he would be contradicting a lot of not only his own words that he's already said in the Sermon on the Mount, but a lot of God's words that he's already said in the Bible. You can look at things like Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. I don't think Jesus is rebuking God the Father or making, for making someone wealthy. I mean, you can also look at like King Solomon in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. God made Solomon wealthy. He made him the king. We see actually the opposite from Jesus. He's actually encouraging the pursuit of wealth. You see it in verse 20 where it says, store up for yourselves treasures. The difference here is that Jesus is encouraging us to store up a certain type of wealth. They're not to be the kind of treasures that we store here on earth, but rather the ones in heaven. Jesus isn't anti-wealth, rather he's anti-distraction is what he's talking about here. Whether you have money or simply want more of it, the pursuit of earthly treasure becomes problematic when it distracts from heavenly things. Jesus says in verse 25, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Our focus needs to be on the things of the kingdom, kingdom importance. So let's clarify what these two sets of treasure are. 
The first, treasures here on earth, those are easy. We know those things really well. Money, houses, you know, property, vehicles, toys. I mean, it could be like kids' toys, but more like, you know, snowmobiles, things like that. Comforts like vacations, a cabin, a cruise, your second home. It could even be things like your family. Clothing, he talks about here in this passage. It's all of those things that we get, that we own, we use, we collect, we pursue. And again, these are not necessarily bad things, but Jesus says they can distract us from our actual pursuit of treasures in heaven. So what are those? They are the rewards that believers can anticipate receiving from God over and above salvation and eternal life. Jesus alluded here in verse 6-1 about this notion when he's talking to his disciples. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Speaking to his disciples in the crowd, Jesus is making an assumption that they all know they will be rewarded for the pursuit of godliness in their lives. So what are those things, those heavenly things that we need to pursue? Those are the things that Jesus has already talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Being generous with our time and resources. Helping those in need. Serving others by putting their needs before our own. Keeping our promises. Loving our enemies. Fasting. Praying. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Jesus is warning against the distractions and calls for wise investment. Not so much the wise investment of money, but the wise investment in those things. No, I think there's a trap here that we need to be aware of when we talk about money, wealth, and like the financial terminology that I'm using, that this passage is using and talking about. Wealth and finances are very transactional. You work a job, you get paid for the services that you have rendered. Although this seems very transactional, it is not in this context. Much of Jesus' message throughout his ministry was to ward off the notion that you could earn grace through your actions and your deeds. Ultimately, Jesus would die on the cross for all of our sins so that we could receive grace and forgiveness of God. And that is a one-way transaction, God giving us something. We didn't earn it, but we still get to receive it. I think Jesus is primarily focused on his disciples' actions and helping them stay focused on God and this kingdom that he's talking about. Is Jesus concerned with the balance of our bank accounts, our 401ks, our stock options? Uh, Probably not, would be my guess. Maybe he is. At the very least, he's not as concerned about it as we are. (laughs) Those things are not worth much to God and to our Savior. Is Jesus concerned about our spiritual investments, our spiritual investment portfolio? Ben, looking at you. Yes. Yes. Because where we spend our time, where we invest our resources, where we live our lives, it dictates the direction of our focus and our affections. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. If you want to see where someone's allegiances lie, Just look at where they spend their time, where they spend their money, where they spend their attention. Jesus says those things steal focus. They direct our energy and our time and our resources. When our loyalties are divided, we become unproductive, falling into the trap of doing just enough to get by. 
You can't be devoted to two masters at the same time. It says this right here in verse 24. No, one's, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it is with God and wealth. One will rule the other. Not that money will rule God, but money will rule our lives instead of God. So I have to ask you, which master are you serving? Maybe not cognitively, but where are you spending your time? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your focus? Like I said, Jesus is not anti-wealth. He's anti-idolatry. He knows that treasures on earth are a blessing until they become our priority and our focus. When it tips the scales, then they become our idols and our priority. So if that has happened or if it's happening, it's going to naturally steal God. It's going to steal our devotion from God. It's going to rob us of the life that God desperately wants us to have. If we were to make a list of the concerns that all Christ followers should be aware of and then make a list and categorize it, money would probably be right near the top. But then I think like 1B would be anxiety and worry and stress. And maybe for some of you it would be number one. I think it's safe to say that the pursuit of earthly treasure and wealth and worry and anxiety, those rank the highest on that list. Which is exactly why Jesus is spending so much time here talking to us. It's why he lumps them together. Even though they're very different, they're very similar. Verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is it possible that Jesus doesn't like anyone who's organized or plans ahead? No. No, that would actually not be in line with God's character and everything else that Jesus has set up until this point. That's not the case. But like the pursuit of money, Jesus is warning us that worry and anxiety, those things can distract us from the things that are true, spiritual, like of significance, the things that we need to be focused on. And I just want to clarify something here as we talk about this. It's important. When I use the terms worry or stress or anxiety in the context of this conversation, I'm not talking about mental health-related issues or diagnoses. Anxiety is real, and many people deal with that on a daily basis, and it can feel like an inextricable part of your life. It's like who you are. I am more so talking about the sources of worry in each of our lives that we spend a lot of time trying to manage on our own, apart from God. There are a lot of things in this world that can take up our energy and pull our attention away from God, leaving us with little, if any, bandwidth to devote to our faith and our spirituality. So please know that God has unlimited stores of compassion and care for anyone who struggles with mental health issues, specifically in this context, anxiety, stress, or worry. So let me ask you, how often do you find yourself worried? Don't raise your hands. (laughs) Is it weekly? Is it daily? Is it hourly? Is it constant with little reprieve? What are the things that you worry about? Is it the future? Politics? 
your debts, your family or your children or your parents, your health, your income, a rubble stone foundation where the mortar is failing and the leaks. A little too personal, sorry. <laughs> Have you ever lost sleep because of any of those things? Because of all of our innate concern for the needs of life, unrealized dreams, or the many areas of our life that feel out of control, worry is natural. It's how we operate as human beings, as God's creation. So Jesus is certainly not condemning us because we are just working the way that God created us. We naturally worry about our next meal, about our shelter. <laughs> we worry about our family and next of kin. He's not talking about that. He's talking about having an awareness of our needs and desires in life, but then turning those over to God while we plan ahead, while we have care and concern for those things. So if you're a follower of Jesus, what Jesus is telling you is to not only be aware of those things, but doing so should prompt devotion to God, and it should help you use your faith to move towards God and not away from him. So Jesus goes on to illustrate this in verses 26 through 32. I'm going to read these for you real fast. It says this, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Jesus is nailing down this point that if God provides for flowers and birds and grass, why then do his people think he'll fail to provide for them? Jesus reminds us, he's reminding those listeners of that long history that God has provided for his chosen people. He says in verse 32, for the pagans run after all of these things. They pursue things on their own, but they don't have the hundreds and hundreds of years of history of equity, relational equity built up between God and his people. I mean, a quick overview, just think about Abraham and the covenant. Think about Moses and the Exodus. Think about Joshua and the conquest of the promised land. Jesus jogs his original audience's memories with these words and helps them remember that God's constant mercy, God's constant deliverance, God's constant protection, it's countless, it's boundless. When he says, you have little faith, your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's talking to us. The same is true for us today. Jesus is calling each of us into a trustworthy relationship with him. <laughs> Through Jesus, God has already met our greatest need, salvation from our sins. He's given us a hope for a future. And it's guaranteed through the cross. 
with that truth foremost in our minds, then we need to move our needs and our desires, our hopes and our dreams into the environment of the gospel, a place where the concerns of this world shrink and so does our tendency to try and do it ourselves. Whether it's wealth and worry, money or anxiety, the two big warnings that Jesus has given us here, we need to trust God. And that's not a call to passivity It's not a call to move to Idaho and live in some sort of a compound off the grid. It's a call to have faith. God is fully aware of his creation. And we've talked about this several times throughout this series. God knows you head to toe. Jesus is warning for us in the Sermon on the Mount. He's warning us because he knows we worry. He knows that that is our natural tendency. He knows that pursuing money and resources, it's just a part of life. He knows that. And so he's warning us, when you do those things, don't let it get too out of control. Don't let it become too big a part of your life. If we do that, we just won't have a lot left in our tanks for God. Uh, I've talked a little bit about this in the past, but Jess and I, in our story, um, before we adopted Axel and Tori, we actually had a season of life where we were trying to get pregnant, and we actually spent um, almost two years going through the infertility process, you know, um, studies and then treatment for that, and then trying to get pregnant through um, hormone, hormone therapy and things like that, because we just really wanted to have kids. And these memories now kind of almost seem blurry to me, but I do remember the, the cost of all of that. Not only the financial cost of going through that, the infertility treatment, but also just like the emotional burden, that cost, worry, anxiety. I remember the physical toll that it took on my wife. I remember the fear and, if I'm being honest, the anger of confronting the reality that we could not go on with treatment because it was too expensive and we had run out of money. And like I said, I just remember being angry with God over what I perceived to be a broken promise. Because I'd really felt like, Jess had felt like God had told us he wanted to be parent, wanted us to be parents. And it wasn't happening. Ultimately, God spoke to each of us individually, but then as a couple, and we kind of had our eyes open to the path forward that God had for us concerning kids and starting a family. I can honestly tell you that it wasn't until we fully turned our focus and attention towards God that we were finally able to hear from him what he had been trying to tell us all along. I don't share that with you to try and glorify some of our hardships. I know there are people in this room that have gone through infertility, and there's a lot of implications here with that situation and people who have gone through it or are going through it. The point is, is that we all have things in life, righteous things, good things, that bring us stress, bring us worry, anxiety. And those are things that, when they are righteous, when they are good, it almost drives a wedge between you and your Heavenly Father. And then you read a passage like this, and God's like saying, hey, don't worry, I'll take care of it. But then when the rubber meets the road, it's like, okay, <laughs> How? Jesus is warning us it is okay to be in that place. 
but don't stop trusting when you are. <clears throat> I believe that the heart of what Jesus is saying is right here. God wants our heart. He wants our attention, and He wants our focus. He wants you. When we're busy meeting our own needs, pursuing anything that is of this world, or allowing our attention to be diverted elsewhere, even if it's something godly worthwhile, then I think we're falling prey to that trap that Jesus is warning us about. It's been said here many times, but I want to say it again. Your God knows you, and He is perfectly willing to give you everything you need. It really feels like Jesus just wants us to trust. My last thought regarding this passage is that Jesus doesn't leave us without a tactic to employ when we feel this way. When we're burdened by worry, when our attention is captured by wealth or the pursuit of money. Jesus is literally pointing us in the right direction. Jesus has hinted at this throughout this passage, but he told his disciples, he said, look up from heaven, or from earth, sorry. <laughs> look up from earthly treasures to heavenly ones. He told them to look up from earthly cares to God's provision. Verse 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. If you want to be free from the distracting idols of wealth, and if you want to be liberated from the paralyzing burden of worry and stress and anxiety, and let's be clear here, we all want that. <laughs> Jesus is telling us how to. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Look up and everything else will take care of itself. Ultimately, the cares of this world won't seem so big our needs won't seem so impossible to fill and it'll be a little bit easier to sleep at night. And boy, that really sounds nice. And we get to do that together in this place. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, which is exactly why Jesus gives us this warning right here in Matthew 6. Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Father, again, we just thank you for this morning and we thank you for this opportunity to be here with each other and with you, God. I want to pray real specific for anyone with an earshot of me talking. God, if they are worried, if they're anxious, if they're stressed, if they're in need, whether that's money or anything else, God, besides meeting those needs, besides removing that stress, I pray that you would bless them with the presence of your spirit, that calming presence that brings peace. And I ask God that you would show each of us in our own ways, in our own context, exactly how you want us to operate when we experience these things. And when we do, God, I also ask that you would help us not turn to our own devices, our own tendencies, Help us not try and control and manage things on our own, God, but help us turn to you, lean into you, God. And I just want to say thank you in advance. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.